Welcome to The Edges of Lean. I'm Bella Engelbach, and in this podcast, we explore the human and creative side of lean thinking, unusual places where lean thinking is practiced. We meet people who are practicing continuous improvement in many different flavors and styles. So come along with me on a journey to the edges of lean. Episode 31, Continuous Improvement and Overcoming Imposter Syndrome. My guest is Tara Halliday. Tara has been a holistic therapist and coach for over 21 years, and she's a specialist in imposter syndrome. She is the author of the Amazon number one bestseller, Unmasking the Coach's Guide to Imposter Syndrome, and she's the creator of the Inner Success 8-Week Program for Executives to Eliminate Imposter Syndrome and Get Back to Being Great. Tara Halliday, welcome to the Edges of Lean. Thank you very much, Bella. Lovely to be here. It's really nice to have you here today. I have been thinking about imposter syndrome for a long time because in my own career, I moved from one job to another job in different types of industries. And I always felt that I was not quite um, the person that should be doing those jobs. And I was in a way gratified to find out that I was not the only person who ever felt that way. But when you uh, talk about imposter syndrome, it's it's more than that feeling of, of just being uncertain, I expect. But before we get into that, what I would love you to do is tell us a little bit about yourself and how did you uh, get into this field? Ah, it, it, well, the, the solution to that is I was following a thread of continuous improvement. So that's quite interesting. So I I started as a trained as a holistic therapist and coach 21 years ago. And I worked just in, in general with pretty much everybody. And I found that as I was doing that, most people were empowered, went away and, you know, had good results and, and went on. Some people kept coming back. And that for me was an issue because that's not the point. The point is empowerment, not not to be, become a, a you know a continual crutch, if you like. So, in investigating that, I, I discovered that it was really some beliefs that they were holding. So then I went. My mission was to find you know the underlying beliefs, you know which which beliefs and how to change them. And I came across a particular kind of coaching all around worth that our our worth is unconditional, which was the, the goal, rather than conditional, which is what most people believe. It was very powerful. I went through it myself. I trained in it and and started getting some really deep and excellent results with clients. And then uh, one of my clients mentioned imposter syndrome. And I thought, well, this is really interesting. I'll have to research this, find out what that is. And it was just so clear when I found out, you know, imposter syndrome, it's the secret feeling of being a fraud or not good enough or that you don't quite belong when you're not there. So it's a gap between your, your actual abilities and your own perception of how well you're doing. And when I, when I explored imposter syndrome, did some research on it, it was just so clear to me that the, the driver of imposter syndrome was this belief in our, our conditional worth. 
So um, then I then I did a whole bunch more research interviews. I, I wrote a Amazon best selling book, uh, Unmasking the Coach's Guide to Imposter Syndromes. This is for coaches. And that was going great. And then I got into some neuroscience. So I, I trained as a uh a neurofeedback trainer where we had electrodes on your head measuring your brain waves as you're doing some belief change exercises. And that doing that and then studying the, the explanation of why and how we are interacting with our brains when we change a belief, that led me to taking what was probably a two-year coaching journey around worth and and given gave me the ability to condense it into a short eight week program, and that's how I got to where where I am now. So a whole bunch of threads all all came together. Did you ever feel imposter syndrome yourself? So I didn't recognize imposter syndrome when I started my research, and then when I got more into it, there was one particular behavior with imposter syndrome, which is avoiding, avoiding a promotion, avoiding a, a role, and that took me back to a time when I just graduated from university, and I got offered a job by General Electric, but not the graduate trainee job that I'd applied for, but no, they'd done a, um, a Myers-Briggs test and personality test and they they wanted to put me on a fast track management position and I and I was oh no I did not want that and that was my imposter syndrome and what happened was I told myself at the time I had no idea I told myself at the time oh that sounds boring <laughs> that sounds boring so I went back to university and I did a PhD in engineering so I have my PhD because of imposter syndrome now so that was there's quite a you know a nice outcome but it illustrates nicely how much of a change and much of an impact it can have on people's careers and you know sometimes in in not a good way as well so then the other question do I do I get imposter syndrome now I, I don't I'm glad you don't, I don't <laughs> no. no you know doesn't mean things don't go wrong I'm not saying that. And, you know, I don't struggle and we're always learning with things. But but the idea that it's me, you know, that that, that there's something, you know, I'm that I'm not good enough. If something goes wrong, that connection doesn't happen anymore. So that's the great thing. It's very interesting when we think about the world of continuous improvement, because we always want people, and they, they say this, uh, particularly people who are doing the improvement class of the Toyota project, they, they want people to be striving at the very edge of what they don't know, you know, not to be out where you're, you know, you don't know anything, but to be just at the edge of what you don't know, so that you're always learning something new. But to get to that, you have to be able to be uncomfortable are comfortable with being uncomfortable. What are your thoughts about that? Yes. Uh, so if you if you look at it from the the neuroscience point of view, uh, so part part of our brain is always trying to predict the future, predict what's going to happen next in order to keep us safe, and in order to you know predict the future. It, it looks out for dangers. So it's looking more for tigers and snakes than the, the right kind of food. Um, you know, this is on a very primitive level. This is this is how our, our brains are, are, are set up. And so we have a natural 
um, disinclination <laughs> to go somewhere that, that we might find scary. However, when we're, when we're in a very calm state, we have a natural impetus to stretch ourselves and grow. Yes. I, I, for example, I've just recently got into um, Sudoku. Yeah, it's, it's a little maths quiz game. And, yeah. and it's very logical. It's, it's a lot of fun. And I, 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 I did it for, for a while and I got quite good at it. And then I ordered a book um, which said Extreme Sudoku, expecting it to be difficult, which was good, which was kind of at my level of challenge. And it turned out to be not. It was actually way too easy. So I was disappointed that it was too easy. And then to challenge myself or make it more interesting, I started trying to do them in my head rather than writing out the notes, which is right. So I gave myself additional level of challenge. And this is a very natural behavior that if we, if we get good at something, we've got this, this impulse to master it. And so I, I, I love that's where you're going, you know, getting to the edge of what you know, continuing to challenge that. That's a fabulous place to be when your brain doesn't think you're in imminent danger. When your brain thinks you're imminent danger and you go to the edge, of what, what, whatever it is, it's predicting just more danger and you get more stress. So just depending on how you are feeling and connected with your, your nervous system on the inside depends on, you know, how comfortable or not you are with that edge. When people are uh, feeling imposter syndrome, and you said earlier, it's, it's about that difference between your, your I think your, your, ability or your worth in a certain situation and the actual situation, right? So, so you might, if you, in my situation, if I was suddenly asked to be in the Olympics as an ice skater and I can barely skate, that would not be imposter syndrome, right? That would be, that would be, make sense. It would not, it would not make sense for, for me to do that. Um, in this, the world that we're in now, I, I feel that we're always being thrust into something new. And I wonder, are there people who are sort of naturally better suited to that? And as, a, as opposed to people who either because of, and you can tell us because of their upbringing or just because of their way, their brain is wired, are, are always going to feel uncomfortable or, or would need to work to not feel uncomfortable. It, it, it really depends on, as you say, how, how the brain is wired but I'd say patterned rather than wired because the brain has this neuroplasticity. It's able to change. And so it's just the pattern that you've, you've used and adopted and, 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 and got so far. Basically your, your, your brain creates a model of the environment, your whole environment in order to predict it. And um, in that there are things that are labeled danger. Right? And there's a part in your brain called the amygdala, which is on both sides, that checks to see if any of your surrounding is triggering any of that danger, if, if there's any danger around us immediately. And when it does that, then we get into this stress situation. It triggers the nervous system into fight, flight and freeze. Um, uh, decisions become more difficult, our, our focus narrows, our, our, um, uh, we're less creative, 
Our IQ drops by 13 points when we're in this. So we literally do not have the resources to perform at the level that, that we want to. So this, this is this is what happens when your when your when your brain is um, triggered. And one of the triggers is a belief in your worth, and that's imposter syndrome. So imposter syndrome is the is the symptom of your brain identifying that this situation is uh, is going to a prove that I'm not good enough. Or, or, or B, people are going to find me out and throw me out the tribe and I'm going to die. So that's that's kind of the, the, the brain's inflammation of, of, of the situation. And so in order to change that, what we need to do is change the belief that's triggering the amygdala in the first place. So it's all, all changeable, all neuroplasticity. And uh, at least from what I know about what the amygdala is, not everything the amygdala retains is true, right? It 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 could be an interpretation of a situation as opposed to an actual situation. And so what you are reacting to may not even really be a danger. It, yes. It's just it's 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 a it's a belief that um that has been re- retained that way. That, so is this yeah. yeah, and 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 the the belief for uh, that about our worth from imposter syndrome is one that we form between the ages of eighteen months and three years old. Um, so very very old, very deep identity level belief. It's called it's because it's who we think we are, and and it's essentially when when a child is 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 very very young, you know, a baby, they have no in terms of the model of the world, no distinction, no separation between them and their their environment. So, you know, them doing something bad means they are bad, right? And if them doing something good means they are good, they've got no separation. As they go through 18 months to to three years, they get this separate idea of separation of themselves. But if they're not taught that there's a difference between who they are and what they do, then they continue that as a belief because it's you know that that map of the world that model hasn't been updated with with this new information about what it means to be a separate human being. This is why ninety nine point nine 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 percent of people have this idea, have this belief that my worth depends on what I do. Which is why when somebody asks you what do you do, you always you answer with the most spectacular part of your career that you could possibly. <laughs> <laughs> explain or are you parenting or are you where you live or something to to uh, yeah. show your worth exactly to 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 try and prove it and this is why some people um overwork over prepare i mean imposter syndrome is is a symptom of that belief and that it shows up in high achievers when they're trying to stretch themselves and challenge themselves uh, you know if you were if you were um, doing a, a very routine job day in, day out, year after year, you wouldn't have that, you know, edge of challenging yourself. So you'd be less likely to come ac- across imposter syndrome. Right. But growth comes from the challenge. So, yeah, yeah. growth comes from the growth conscious. And, and I'd say that the joy comes from the challenge as well. You know, the adventure of it, the excitement, the, you know, doing the Sudoku in your head because it'd just be too boring to do this easy Sudoku in front of you. Yeah. 
Yeah. Wow. So what you're saying is, is that it is, there's a neuroscientific explanation for it, but part of it is, is also, it's not just nature, it's nurture as well. Um, is that, and I would hate, but it's not necessarily, if I, if I, um, just probe on that a little bit more it's not necessarily that you know you said a child should be taught this how how might a child be taught uh, the difference between what they do and their worth that would that would require their parents pointing out the difference so the the action that you did right is is you know you know don't put your hand in the fire you know the action that you did is is dangerous or or, or uh, yeah. you know you, you, there's there's a there's a disapproval of the action but not a disapproval of the child that's the difference um, but most people don't have that role model example from their own parents because they had the same belief and their parents had the same belief you know so unless unless you actually specifically go looking for ways in which to to teach your children this difference then then you just won't and the child and the child will then have to figure it out for themselves later on yeah so it's very difficult for us we actually cannot go back and undo what was done to us when we were 18 months old <laughs> so when an adult is in that situation of having imposter syndrome what are the kinds of things that they typically do to address it? Um, well, there are there are things that people try because I think that it's a, it, there's a misunderstanding about what it is. So the, the, one of the myths is that imposter syndrome is a lack of confidence, where it's it's absolutely not a lack of confidence. It's it's a sense of feeling in the moment that I'm not quite good enough. And, you know, people with imposter syndrome, uh, you know, and my, my clients are, you know, C-level executives, CEOs, directors, you know, they're, they're, they're right at the, the, the top of their game. And they know if you ask them intellectually, you know, yes, they're competent, they're capable and for the most part confident. However, at the same time, they've got this internal feeling, this nagging feeling that they're not quite good enough and that causes the stress it causes the amygdala to to get into the fight flight and free state and then to you know lose their 13 points of iq so it just makes everything much 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 harder so then they might if they think it's about confidence then they might try to do activities that would build confidence they might surround themselves with people who act as if they they have confidence in them which yes. would be a shame i think if you're if you're a c-level executive and you surround with yourself with people who are always acting as if they have confidence in you because then you might not hear some of the things that you probably should be hearing yeah, yeah. and 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 honestly it it wouldn't make a difference anyway there's there's several classic imposter syndrome behaviors and one of them is to deflect praise because you simply don't believe it because you think the other person doesn't see you clearly enough and they, you know, they're, 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 they're over-exaggerating. So surrounding, so, so yes, yeah, so surrounding yourself with people who are, who are just saying yes, and you're wonderful actually doesn't help. That doesn't help. 
that doesn't help. It can actually make things worse because it makes you feel less seen, less understood, more isolated, more like you don't belong and actually make make it, yeah, make the imposter syndrome worse. So that's one thing. The other thing is, you know, people try some mindset techniques. There's NLP techniques. Um, and there's NLP is neurolinguistic neuro programming. Programming, yeah. So, so they try that. They they try affirmations. You know, standing in front of the mirror and and, and telling themselves. Even you know, I, I've heard one which is "I am enough." I am enough, right? And you're repeating it over and over. There's a, there's a good reason why that works in certain circumstances, but, you know, a, a yeah. neuroscience reason for why it works. But when you have the belief that you're not quite enough then the belief wins and so you you know it's like your brain saying I don't believe you no no this is and it doesn't and it doesn't work and so um, a lot of people struggle because they think they can talk themselves out of a belief and you can't it needs a very specific process that goes through and changes the pattern that the amygdala is recognizing and, and 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 unless you do that process, you're not going to change the belief. So it's actually, in a way, resetting the amygdala or tuning it differently so that it's it's not reacting. That's the it. way that it used to. Yes, but but in very specific circumstances. Because if you if you just took your if you could if you just took your amygdala and just dialed down its sensitivity, then. You'd, you'd stop reacting in situations where there's a car coming towards you or, or there's, a, there's a ball flying towards your head. You, you know, so it's not about dialing it down. It's just taking those incidents that are that are not supportive and are not, as you say, not true. Right. That these false beliefs and replacing them with, um, you know, a, a real um, self-acceptance is 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 the is the answer is 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 to, um, to it it's that self-acceptance i i am as i am and my worth does not depend on what i do but you can't just talk yourself you you, you can't just yes keep saying that to yourself <laughs> no no yeah that's really fascinating tara because i think Certainly in the coaching profession, there's a lot of reliance on neuro-linguistic programming. I would say not so much in my field, you know, which is leading the continuous improvement, but certainly in other, in other coaching environments, there's a lot of reliance on that and a lot of reliance on, you know, listening to the affirmations, writing them down, you know, putting them on the mirror in the bathroom, you know, thing, things like that. Um, and frankly, I've, I've always been a bit skeptical of it because I think that you, in order to change a belief, the, the best way that I know is to sort of behave yourself into that belief. You can't sort of talk, yeah. talk yourself into it. Even, even that's, even that's not, necessarily because if you, if your belief is your your brain's model of the world and it's and it's precious right it's keeping you safe and it doesn't and some of the deep ones like this it doesn't want to change because you've got layered on top of it uh, there's a uh, there's, there's something the brain does does called confirmation bias so yes. anytime there's a situation that reinforces a belief, it gets layered on top. So you've got this layer upon layer of confirming situations. And this is, this is why these, you know, deep level identity level beliefs are, are, are so hard to change. Now, um, Carl Jung, the um, uh, very early psychologist, yes. 
had this model of the world, which was uh, the brain, rather, the mind, which was uh, an iceberg, right? 10% on top of the surface is your conscious mind. 90% below the surface is the unconscious. So all those techniques that we we were talking about, the NLP, the um, the, the affirmations, the, 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 the re- repetition, the, the, the journaling, things like that, they work very well at kind of surface level beliefs between the conscious and the unconscious. And, and so that's great. But the belief we're talking about with imposter syndrome is right at the very bottom of the iceberg. Right? It, it, it's, it's identity level because we think it's who we are. And, um, and this is why it's such a surprise to people. I mean, it affects 70%, 70% of high achievers at some point in their career, which is a huge amount. But people keep it a secret because they think it's them. And then so they don't hear about that everybody else is feeling this way. So they feel even more that it's just them. And this is, this is why it's so great to talk about it because it's breaking that, that, that pattern, that cycle of secrecy, bringing it out into the open. This reminds me of something that happened to me a few years ago. I met with, uh, up with a friend of mine that I, oh, actually not really a friend, more of an acquaintance that I had known in, in high school. I hadn't seen him for decades. And we talked about our experience in high school. And I had moved from the UK to the US uh, at about the age of nine. And so I always felt in sort of US school culture, I didn't really get it because I was raised in a different school culture. And I always felt like I didn't belong. And I always felt like an outsider. Um, though I think if you sort of looked at me, you would say, well, she's an insider, but I felt like an outsider. And I was talking to this, this person that I had gone to high school with and told him about this. And he said, he said, oh, I felt exactly the same way. And he said, I think everybody did. <laughs> and it was so funny after decades to hear that, you know, because um, I certainly would have picked out every situation where somebody had laughed at my accent or, you know, not knowing what were the right clothes to wear as being, you know, confirmation of the fact that I was an outsider. But yeah. um, of course, that was probably happening to everybody. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. 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 That's interesting. Yes. So what should people be doing then? And I don't want you to sort of give away your whole thing, but um, and I'm sure you don't want to either. But what how what is an approach that's better than trying to build your confidence or, or doing affirmations or? Yeah, well, so there's there's two things you can do. One is one is to to manage imposter syndrome. And the other is to um, to, to to get rid of it basically, yeah. and the get the get the getting rid of it is is the work that I do, and that's the you know changing the belief through through the repatterning of the amygdala in, in a very specific process based on the neuroscience that that we're measuring the brain waves. So so that that is um, so it's possible. It's there. It's out there. It's available, um, but. Most people aren't going to do that. So what most people go do, the first one is, is to get some support. So this is managing it. So you've, you, you, the, you, the imposter syndrome, I talked about people kind of feeling like it's just them, they don't belong, feeling very isolated. So finding somebody that there's, you know, friendly, non-judgmental, not their boss, that they can talk to about it. 
uh, not necessarily even about imposter syndrome, just what's going on in their lives. Um, the other thing that can help is um, imposter syndrome gets triggered very often in, in situations where you get have high challenge and low support. So what I was just describing was in increasing that support. But if you, if you realize that that's the pattern, then you can look out for it. So if you're going through a job transition, for example, or you're going to do something that's going to be a really big challenge, then make sure that you get uh, as much help as you can. And, and people with imposter syndrome often don't ask for help or they, they struggle with saying no, so they take on too much. Right. So, so anything you can do to it, to ask for a, for a bit of help. Um, so that, those are the two things that can, can just help kind of dial down the, the, um, the stress and anxiety of it. I think it does help to know that 70% of people have it. So you're not alone. And I think just knowing that it's not you, um, is, is, is very helpful as well. So that is really interesting and helpful advice, Tara. And I, and I think for a lot of people, just admitting to somebody else that that they have this concern or that they feel that perhaps they're, they're not quite bright or are in the right place, they might find that other people say, you know, I feel that way too, right? That's... Um, Right. And now you, now you have an ally. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yes. Creating an ally. Pick pick the ally very carefully, right? This isn't about standing on a box in the corner of the street <laughs> shouting <laughs> it out to the world. No, it's not that. But pick, pick, pick an ally that you'll be able to trust and, and have that conversation. And, um, you know, very often that person will respond, I had no idea. You always seem so confident. Yeah, it's a, it's a very, very common response to that kind of um, statement. When when a person hears that, uh, does you know does that then help them to to hear you know it's not showing on the outside? You know that you are that you are still inspiring confidence or leadership um, or followership. It it, it might. But it's it's again. It, it, if it sounds a little like it's like any hint that it might be praise, then then we could discount it. Right? The breath. Yes. So this is the confirmation bias when we get something, we, uh, you know, that 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 goes against what we believe, the belief that's underneath it. Then yeah, discount it. So this is what they're doing. They're like, oh no, yeah, right. Oh, you'll be just being nice. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I was wondering, Tara, about whether there were any gender differences with this, because uh, as I have, as I shared with you before, but before this podcast, um, I am involved in a very large group of, of women who are working in the business world, um, many of whom have struggled with um, with imposter syndrome or what they believe is imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons that women say that they feel it is because when they go out into environments such as LinkedIn, they see men making very confident statements about the world or about a certain business practice or about how things should be. 
and um, that has not, I think, helped some of the you know confidence of some of the women. But now I'm wondering if perhaps the men are out there doing this despite the fact that they also are feeling some level of imposter syndrome. You, you, you have it exactly right. When the, when the research was initially done, imposter syndrome was first identified back in 1978. Their, their group was um, female graduate students. And then the studies that were after that in the, in the next 15 years or so seemed to show that women get it more than men. Right? That it's more of a, a, a women's issue. But then in the 1990s, there was a piece of research done where they took the survey and they made it absolutely, completely confidential and anonymous. And what happens is the men showed to be exactly the same levels of imposter syndrome as the women. There was no gender difference. And when you look at the, you know, where the belief comes from, there's no gender difference in there in, in there either. So all these studies that said it's women more than men were actually just capturing the social tendency of women are more allowed to um, express uh, feelings of weakness and men are more not allowed to do so. And it was just capturing that, that um, gender bias in, in our social structure rather than what was really going on. Oh, isn't so, that interesting? <laughs> yes, ab- absolutely fascinating. And, you know, I, I, I find that that is, is quite, um, to, to think that it's a women's issue, um, I think is harmful to both men and women because harmful to women, because it, it's, it seems to be saying that there's something inherently wrong with being a woman in a business world. And that's absolutely not the case. And I think for men, it's harmful because they, if they think it's a women's issue and they have it, they feel even more isolated and even more alone. And it makes that sense of imposter syndrome worse. So, yeah. So when, um, when you say that you, you just notice that, you know, you know, some men are speaking up, that can be a way of trying to maybe convince everybody. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 you know, you, you will see it, you know, particularly as you get to these, you know, senior leadership roles, you're more and more expected to be right all the time, <laughs> not in technical sense, but just in, 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 in what you say in, in the statements that you make. And, um, and what if you're not feeling that on the inside? What if you're feeling that self-doubt? What do you do? Some people hide, so hiding their opinions or not speaking up enough. And some people just kind of blag it, make it up, <laughs> or, or just say it, with, say it with enough authority that other people believe it's true. Right. So whether or not they believe it themselves. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So Halliday, you have a quiz you'd like to tell us about. Yes, I have a, a free quiz. Uh, it's just 20 questions. It's actually the original uh, test that was research test that was done back in 1978. And so I'll, I'll, I'll give you the link and people can go and take the test for free and see how um, imposter syndrome might be affecting them. So if you are watching this on YouTube, you'll see the link pop up on the screen at the end. Uh, It will also be in the show notes uh, wherever you you listen, if you're listening to this. Yeah. So so that uh, that quiz has really stood up then since the 70s as as being a helpful way to... uh, 
to it's a sort of self-diagnose, I suppose, or to. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see a lot, a lot of the, the question that people have is, is this imposter syndrome or am I really not good enough? How, how you know, you know, is 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 this something that I can do something about, or is this part of my personality? And it's not part of your personality. It's just that belief that's showing up as imposter syndrome, and uh, and and it can be changed. But it measures the severity of um, what what you're what you're experiencing as well. And and just to, the more you can understand about it, the less you can know that it's not you. And I think that's very helpful. And I think for people who are really working on expanding their horizons and and learning things and doing experiments at that edge of their knowledge, knowing that as you're striving, if you're feeling that um, that you're not quite good enough, it's you're not going to be getting it right. Knowing that that's something that seventy percent of of everybody else who's doing this is going to be feeling this. Too, I think is probably very comforting, right? I mean, it's it's not it's it's good to know in a way that you're not alone in doing this. It's if it's hard for you, that's not because there's anything necessarily wrong with who you are. Yes, that's exactly it. Yes, yeah. I usually ask, and I will ask you, Tara, mm -hmm. um, uh, what is your advice to young people starting their career? But I would just want to go back to this topic because I'm thinking about people who are raising kids and particularly uh, people who have children in that very critical age. I think, you know, you were saying it's between 18 months and three years and three years is, I think, about as far back as most of us can remember, if we could even remember that, because there's a lot of neural pruning that happens then, right? Yeah. So, so, but that's um, such an important time. What might be one or two things that parents could say or do to help their kids at that point to help to help that toddler um, with the with the you know keep their amygdala tuned in a in a healthy fashion yeah there, there are there are there are quite a few things that you can do probably more time than we have to go into yeah right but um one of one of the things that you can do is rather than passing judgment on, on, on something like the, the, the child's done something or they've, they've come back and they're telling you rather than, than passing judgment on them as being good or bad for doing it. Right. Ask them instead. Did, did you have fun? Yeah. What did you learn? Yeah. Think, think, things like that. You know, what was your, what was your favorite part of this? What, what, what of this would you like to do again? And those are then questions that, that put the authority on the child and their opinion of themselves uh, and, and rather than being, um, you know, judged. Yeah. So, so, so you got seven A's and a B. What, what, what did you like about that? You know, what was the best part rather than, good or bad right you know good for the seven a's or bad for the one b you know wow yeah and i think when, as you're saying those things those are also coaching questions right those are questions that we would be asking an adult who's just gone through a situation we'd, we'd ask them well what what was good about that what did you learn from it yeah. what might you you might ask it what might you do differently next time what would be your next action but you would but 
but you would never say to um, to an employee or to a coaching client, oh, that was, you were a terrible person when you did that, right? <laughs> well, you see, because people have no difference as adults between what, what they what they say and do and who they are, when you say that what you did was bad, they feel like they are bad. Like they yeah. automatically go there. And so that's the separation you want to grow in the child. Yeah. To, to grow that separation between between worth and an action, because yes. when, when no one's going to be perfect, no one's going to make the perfect action every single time. That's it. But it but it yeah. doesn't change. It doesn't change their worth. It doesn't change, yeah. you know, their them them being a you know a worthwhile human being. Yeah. And and just to bring this back to lean thinking and lean, we we talk so much about respect for people, and we don't mean that in a light way. We mean that as just in being in in awe of how incredible human beings are. And we really want to respect every single person because we're in awe of their inherent brilliance as a human being. So that is absolutely wonderful advice, Tara. So what is the advice that you would give to a young person starting their career? Okay, so so for a young person starting their career, they are going to go through that that transition of learning when you're going from unconscious incompetence through to conscious competence um, and understanding that first understand that that's a path you're going to go through. Right. And, And learning involves mistakes and the mistakes don't mean you're bad. Yeah. So that's that's so where we're going is a level of self acceptance in here. But if I could give one tip. One of the um, most common imposter syndrome behaviors is comparing, comparing ourselves to others, but particularly comparing how other people look like they're doing to comp- and comparing it to how you're feeling in the inside. So when we're doing, and that's the, that's the problem because there's a gap. And so when you're doing the comparing, when you catch yourself comparing, realize that you're trying to look at the differences and see if when you're comparing, you can just shift that and look for the similarities between you and them. When you look for the similarities, then you'll feel more connected. You'll feel more like you belong and you know, uh, life will be much easier. That's amazing advice. Thank you, Tara. Pleasure. Tara, where can people find you? So I post most um, on LinkedIn. So if we have a, a, a link in the show notes from my, uh, my LinkedIn profile, that'd be great. My website is completesuccess.co.uk and my book Unmasking can be found on Amazon. Terrific. Thank you so much for journeying with me to the edges of Lean. Absolute pleasure. It's been great. Thank you so much, Bella. This is Bella Engelbach and I'd like to thank Tara Halliday for being my guest on The Edges of Lean. Has imposter syndrome impacted your continuous improvement practice? We'd love to hear from you. Comments, feedback and ratings are welcome and greatly appreciated wherever you watch or listen or reach out to either one of us on LinkedIn. Please join me for more of The Edges of Lean. There's a lot to learn. And check out my friends in the Lean Communicators community at leancommunicators.com. You'll find helpful and educational new podcast and video content there every week. The Edges of Lean is written and produced by Bella Engelberg. This is a Lean for Humans production.